morning, all the smiling faces. Thank you for being here in the house of the Lord. I know I'm looking forward to a wonderful day in the Lord's house. It's good to have each one of you here. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we do appreciate your visit. You, you are our honored guest, and uh, we want to be a blessing and a help and encouragement to you this morning. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and see what he has for us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to worship, and to praise you. Lord, we ask for your presence to be in our presence this morning. Lord, we need to hear from heaven. And Lord, uh, Lord, I ask that you would just speak to our hearts as only you can. Lord, most importantly, this morning, if there's one here that doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, be with those that are discouraged and depressed and disheartened. Lord, I pray that you would just comfort them this morning. And, and uh, uh, Lord, for those that are uh, not right with you, Lord, I pray that you would just... Uh, uh, just make them right this morning, uh, put a fervent in their heart, and Lord, for uh, again, for that loss, I pray that you'd save them. Lord, I do thank you again for all that you do. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Hope everybody had a pretty decent weekend, amen. Go ahead and turn to 155, and number 155, and we sing about the grace of God, amen.
Ooh, that's a breath loser, ain't it? Go ahead and turn, stand up and turn to 157. Hymn number 157. Let's gather around, shake hands, welcome our visitors.
All right, as you're making your way back to your seat, Back to your seat, turn over to 147. Hymn number 147, Amazing Grace. We'll do the first, second, and last. a special force. All right. Well, I do appreciate you being here this morning. Hope everybody got some hand sanitizer and wiped all the fellowship off. Uh, but uh, a lot of sickness going around, and so make sure you do that. Uh, all right. I don't know if we're going to maybe go back to bumping elbows or fists or whatever. Uh, but we don't want people getting sick. There's a lot of people sick out today. Uh, but also, uh, Pray for uh, Brother Adam, Miss Evelyn. Uh, baby Bethany was born on Friday, I believe it was Friday night. And so we're praising the Lord for another baby. And uh, Mama and Baby are doing very well. And so expecting to come home sometime today. And so we're, we're uh, praising the Lord for that. And uh, uh, so we're, we're glad to hear that. And uh, you pray for them as they're making the uh, transition back home. It's good to have the Canning family with us uh, this morning, uh, Brother David and Miss Kaylee. They were they were in my uh, a couple of my classes. Um, one of it was counseling, marriage counseling class, and uh, uh, they needed it. No, I'm just kidding. They, uh, I was just talking to Brother David before services, and I told him I said, "Well, uh, he said I I have to be honest with you, Pastor." He said. Uh, I wouldn't have read, I wouldn't have finished the book that you had me read. However, my wife read it to me, and I, and, uh, I said, let's face it, our wives are smarter than us. And uh, uh, she's not in here. Okay, good. Uh, but anyway, so uh, anyway, anyway, oh, she is in here. She, oh, man, she's hiding back there. Uh, I was going to say, don't tell her I said that because I'm going to lie about it, but Anyways, it's good to have Brother Dave and Miss uh, Kaylee with us, and they have three beautiful babies, uh, River, uh, Penelope, they call her Penny sometimes, and then the other one is Matilda, Matilda, yes, all right, I, um, but anyway, it's good to have them with us, and uh, I pray for this family as they're gathering, trying to uh, get to the field, they, they have a heart uh, for the people, I've known 
Brother David for a few years now, probably five or six years now, and a wonderful student of the, the Bible and uh, loves the Lord and loves, uh, loves to be a part of the service of the Lord. And uh, his wife is right there standing right beside him. And so I, I praise the Lord for this young family. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it over to him. I, I was going to preach this morning, but the Lord put it upon my heart to have him preach. And I have, I have my notes here. We might have two services. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to have him come. They're going to sing a special. They're going to do their slideshow. Uh, and then he's going to preach this morning. And then the second service, it's only going to be uh, answering questions. Okay? So there's not all it is. If you have any questions, write them down. Um, but anyways, uh, that's what the second service. So it won't be long. Uh, if you have questions or uh, you want more information, but please feel free to uh, uh, get anything that you like, any information you like from this family. Brother Dave, would you come, sir? All right, I'm going to go ahead and do the slideshow first. Uh, my wife is in the nursery with the girls at the moment, and perhaps they'll be out here to sing with me. If not, then it'll just be me. And so. Uh, You'll just have to deal with that. So uh, first thing first, um, I'm going to tell you about uh, it, this slideshow is more, uh, it's less about us and it's more about the gypsy people. And so uh, it's a topic that's not, um, uh, you know, I've met a lot of people don't, don't know a whole lot about who, who the gypsy people are. And so that's what um, this whole thing is. And so um, as you can see, this is us. I found out the very first, um, one of the very first meetings I was in, I had this this handy clicker to go through the thing, and it has a laser pointer on it, but it doesn't work on TVs. So uh, <laughs> I'll point at stuff, but you won't know what I'm pointing at. So um, anyway, that's us. So how much do we know about the gypsy people? Um, you know, until I, I had the opportunity to take a trip uh, to Romania a few years ago, I better start my timer or I'll be doing this the whole morning. Um, until I had an opportunity to go, I didn't know much about who the gypsy people were. And so I, uh, through some research and through some friends, I've, uh, I've learned some things. And so, um, first of all, the gypsy people, when we say gypsy, we're talking about an ethnicity, a, a, a people group. You know, the Bible uses the term nations. We're to go to preach the gospel to all nations. And that word nations means people groups, not necessarily countries, borders, but it's talking about a group of people and ethnicity. They all come from the same, uh, the same line. And so the gypsy people are a nation in that sense, that they're an ethnicity. Uh, they originated in India. A lot of people believe this uh, by studying their language. Uh, that they left India about a thousand years ago, um, migrated towards Europe, and then from there kind of around the world. There are gypsies um, all over the world. I think the statistic is there's uh, 30 or 40 countries that have a population of at least 10,000 gypsies in them. Uh, many countries, like Romania, is, is one of the highest populations. It's estimated um, anywhere between 300,000 and a million gypsies could be in Romania. Um, and so I'll, I'll get into why that's estimated in a little bit, but um, they're all over the world. And uh, a lot of people believe this because they've studied the Romani language. That's the language of the gypsy people. They call themselves, they don't call themselves gypsies, they call themselves the Rome or Romani. Uh, the term gypsy was applied to them uh, when they first came into Europe. The people that lived there thought they had come from Egypt. And so the term gypsy means little Egyptian or, or Egyptian. And so um, they, they thought they had come from Egypt because they didn't know where they came from. And there's a lot of things that were unknown about these people because they lived separate. And this is, you know, coming from a thousand years ago, they lived separate from everybody else. They lived in their own groups. They traveled together, and they didn't really assimilate into culture. And so a lot of people didn't know a lot about them. And so uh, when, you, when you read about or, or look up anything about gypsies, there's a lot of folklore and a lot of strange stories and things surrounding gypsies and gypsy people, you know. Uh, the stories of, of Frankenstein and of uh, Dracula and those stories all come from Romania, but they all uh, are, are centered around uh, this gypsy culture because uh, people don't know much about them, and so they made up things, and they, they came up with folklore. And so um, as they traveled, they did keep to themselves. Uh, they kept their language, and they kept their culture. And so um, they've, they've done this for thousands, for, for about a thousand years, they've lived like this. And as they've traveled, in most places that gypsies have gone to, they've remained very much similar to the gypsies in other places. You meet gypsies in America sometimes that uh, has, have the same heritage as the gypsies in Romania. Um, some of them speak the same language that they speak in Romania. Uh, some of them have the same uh, customs at home and with their family that they do in Romania. And it's because they, they all come from the same group. And so um, in Romania and really all over Europe, um, gypsy people live today. Uh, many of them still travel 
in groups, but many of them in the poorer countries are unable to travel. When you think about gypsies, um, oftentimes they're associated with traveling. These caravans, I had a picture just up there of, a, of an old gypsy wagon, right? You've probably heard or thought of that. They would travel like that, and many of them still do, but today it's in, it's in modern vans and trailers. Um, we saw when we were in Romania last year, we drove by a big store that had just a, a parking lot. Uh, you know, like at Walmart, sometimes you'll see a camper or you'll see a truck. This had like a whole section of the parking lot. There were probably 10 vans just piled with stuff with trailers, and that was gypsies that had come into town, and they told me they'd be there for maybe two or three weeks and then pack up and leave. Um, but in Romania and some of the poorer countries in Eastern Europe, they're unable to afford these things, and so they don't travel. They've, they've kind of been stuck where they're at, and so they've formed little communities and villages all over Romania. And so um, because they lived separate and they kept themselves uh, apart from everybody else, and there's all this uh, folklore and stereotypes about gypsy people, they're, they're very disliked. Um, we've met a lot of missionaries over just in the last year, missions conferences and things, uh, who have been in Europe or have gone to Europe. And there's a couple people that grew up in Europe, and they said, oh, yeah, we know who the gypsies are. And, uh, and they told us some stories, and none of them were good stories. They're all bad stories, you know, about how gypsies have robbed them. Gypsies, uh, there was one church in France that they had bought a piece of property to build a church on, and then the government wouldn't let them build the church on it, so it sat there. And he told me about these, this whole gypsy clan just moved in and took over their whole piece of property. And when he went to tell them to leave, uh, you know, they threatened him. And so it was not a, <laughs> it was not a good story. And so uh, many times in Europe when you talk about gypsies, people know who they are. And people don't like them because they just have a bad reputation. They're, they're known as being dangerous, as being thieves, as all these things. And in Romania, that's the case. That's the way it is. And so for a lot of uh, that, they're looked down upon. And because of that, um, the, a lot of that sadly is true about them, that people don't like them because they steal stuff. And a lot of times they do steal stuff. They don't like them because they're beggars. And oftentimes uh, there are beggars and they're gypsy people. And so because of that, um, it's difficult for them to find jobs and hold jobs. And so they oftentimes live in poverty. And so these are all um, photos. This is where I'd use a laser pointer. These are where, uh, this is where gypsy people live oftentimes. That's a pile of garbage in the middle. That's an old outhouse on the side. And that's not like old outhouses like in West Virginia where I'm from where people have them because they look, you know, um, man, my timer's already going off because they look, uh, you know, historic or whatever. Like, people would use that recently. Uh, they would use that outhouse. They would live in these little uh, thrown-together huts and, and, and buildings. This is like a street. People live in all these houses. Um, those are kids there. Uh, and the crazy thing is, is that this is just a few blocks from town, uh, from the center of town, where all the roads are paved, and there's stores, and people live in normal-type houses. Um, but that's where the Romanians live. This side is where most of the gypsies live. And so that's the conditions that they live in. So you go visit these people and you find out that there is a great need here for all kinds of things. Obviously food and water, shelter, shoes, uh, clothing, all that stuff. Um, but the saddest thing is that you and I and people in America, we have all those things, right? I woke up this morning, I had a roof over my head, I had a car to drive. Um, uh, but there's still a, a chance, there was a time when I could have died and still spent an eternity in hell. Even though I had all the luxuries of the world. Here are people who have no luxuries of the world, and if they died without Christ, it would be the same. They spend an eternity in hell. And so their greatest need is not all the things that we have. Their greatest need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we've been there twice. I've gotten to go to Romania twice, and after the first time, uh, the Lord put something in me to want to go back. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, which is a couple of years ago now, uh, that I finally surrendered and God called me to go and to take them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's our, that's our mission, is to go and to preach the gospel. Uh, what we want to do is start churches. That's our mission, is to go and to preach the gospel amongst the gypsy people, to start churches, uh, to see them get saved, baptized, and then teach them what the Bible says. Um, you know, oftentimes, uh, because of the, the racism or because of the prejudice, uh, it's hard for gypsies and Romanians to meet together in the same church. It ought to be. They ought to meet together. But oftentimes, the, the gypsy people are so skeptical of everyone else, they're not going to come to your church. And so if you want to reach them, you've got to go to them. And that's a reason, one of the big reasons why a lot of gypsies are unreached is because people, you have to go to just to them and try to reach them before. Uh, and so that's what our goal is, is to go to them and to reach them. And this means also we want to help uh, trained gypsy preachers, and this can be a very difficult task because, you know, the, the circumstances that they come from is not just that they're poor, but oftentimes uh, a lot of men that are my age or older, some of them didn't go to school growing up, so they don't even know how to read. 
You know, imagine if, uh, if I came to Bible college and I want to be a preacher and I didn't know how to read. I couldn't have read the book. My wife would have had to read it to me. Uh, but there are men that I met that learned how to read at the Bible Institute while they were trying to learn to become a preacher. And so it can be a very long process and it can be a very difficult process, but that's what uh, we believe the Lord's called us to do. And of course, we want to help reach the children because we believe if we can reach children, then the next generation will be uh, a little bit better off than the previous. And maybe the generation after that, it'll be, it'll be easier uh, to reach them with the gospel. They'll be a, a little bit better than they were before. And so we just ask that you pray for the gypsy people, pray that they come to know Christ, and pray for us um, just as a family that we'd be able to raise our support, but that we'd be able to go and we'd be able to take them uh, the gospel. And so that's, um, I don't know, I guess you'll handle whatever that is. So um, that's the presentation, all right? My family, we, we've got a baby. She's, um, she's not on the picture, but she's three months old today. And so, you know, she needs a lot of attention and stuff. And so my wife is with her. Normally, uh, Kaylee and River and I would sing. And when they do, River is just adorable. So uh, I'm going to sing, and it's not going to be that adorable, but I hope that on the... <laughs> I hope that it will uh, be a blessing to you, so... ready stands to save you full of pity love and power come ye weary heavy laden bruised and mangled by the fall if you tarry till your better So I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. Oh, in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are ten thousand charms. Oh, there are ten thousand your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter number 18. That's where we'll be this morning. You know, that song, I think the reason I like it so much is because that's the message. You know, that's the whole message that we're preaching. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy. You know, the thing is that you won't find a sinner that is not poor and needy. A lot of sinners don't know that they're poor and needy. You know, in, in America, we live in such a blessed, blessed uh, in, in the sense that we have a lot of things, uh, society that we, so many people don't know that they need Jesus Christ. You know, you, you tell them, hey, you need, you need a Savior. But we feel like because we have so many things that we don't, and it's a, it's a very sad thing. It's a very difficult thing. I think it's difficult on churches. It's difficult on us when we go out and we try to witness and we try to tell people about Christ. Um, 
you know, the, the parable of the, of the Great Supper where the man invited all of uh, his friends and nobody came. And so he said, go out uh, to the highways and hedges. And what he said, he said, compel them to come. You know, and, and he's not telling them, hey, you know, go put a gun to their head and make them come, you know. He's saying compel them. You've got to persuade them to come. Tell them. That's a, I think that's a difficult task that we have today is we try to persuade people, hey, you need the gospel. You know, I think, and I, and I don't want to say it's easier, but going to a people that are so poor and so needy just physically and apparently, um, sometimes it's much easier for them to understand the gospel. And so, um, you know, pray for us that we would go and preach, but I want you to know that I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for churches here in the States that we would uh, reach people because it looks like um, it, it won't be long before America becomes one of the great mission fields uh, in the world because of a lack of the gospel, a lack of people trusting it. If you found your place in Jeremiah chapter 18, we're just going to read um, a few verses. Uh, usually I tell a joke when I start. I was trying to think of one. I've got one that I tell, but my wife doesn't like it very much. Well, she's not in here, so uh, <laughs> I'll tell it. Um, she, can she hear me in the nursery? Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> um, um, I was at uh, the grocery store uh, this was a couple weeks ago around Valentine's Day, and um, in, the, in the flower section, you know, people looking at flowers, and I'm looking at flowers, and the guy next to me, that he's picking up flowers, and, um, and I turned to him, and I said, you know, it's a shame that you have to buy something, and it's so ex- it costs so much money. Um, uh, I'm sorry, i got to say it the right way, or it doesn't make sense. Um, I said this. <laughs> uh, it's a shame you have to spend so much money on something uh, that's just going to die eventually anyways. And he turned to me and said, yeah, and you got to buy him flowers. <laughs> So I said, hey, shame on you, because that's not very nice. (laughs) Here we are. Uh, We're going to read a few verses here from Jeremiah chapter number 18. And this is um, sometimes could be a a familiar story, but we'll read it. It says in verse number one, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and to pull it down and to destroy it, If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. So let's pray and uh, then we'll get into this. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given me, Lord, uh, to present your word to these people. Lord, I'd ask that you just bless us today. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to have our hearts open, ready to hear your word, Lord. Uh, Just as uh, Jeremiah here was ready to hear your word, Lord, Lord, help us to be ready and then to be ready to go and share it and apply it to our lives and, and give it to others, Lord, as you've given it to us. We thank you. Lord, we ask that you be with those that can't be here today for whatever reason. Lord, bless them. Be with those that are sick. Uh, be with this newborn baby. Lord, and the family, just bless them. Lord, we thank you for all you've done. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. First thing that I want to look at, it's not necessarily Jeremiah, though this is um, really about Jeremiah, but it's uh, this potter. Uh, before we look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want to look at the potter. You know, the potter is, is really just a picture in the story. God wanted him to go see it, but, uh, but it was a real man. You know, God told Jeremiah, go to the potter's house, and he was talking about a real person in a real place doing a real work. Um, uh, he said, go to the potter, and I imagine uh, there, there maybe was just one potter. Either way, it was the potter that um, Jeremiah knew of. He told him to go to his house. And, and I believe God chose a specific potter for a specific reason. Um, imagine 
uh, with me for a moment that God chose this guy. Uh, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And Jeremiah went down, and the potter was not there, right? Uh, maybe he, he was homesick. Maybe he just called in sick today. Maybe he just didn't feel like going to work today. Um, uh, we don't see that. We see that the potter's there. He's doing what, what he's supposed to be doing. He's making some pottery. Uh, we see a guy that um, is, is reliable. He's where he's supposed to be. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And I imagine he's probably good at what he's doing. You know, he's making a pot. When it gets messed up, he, he starts over again. He just doesn't, uh, it says there in the, the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of potter, so he made it again. You know, he just didn't say, well, this is going to be good enough. I'll just go ahead and finish it, and, and then I'll get rid of it, and somebody will buy it, right, uh, even though it's not very good. No, he wanted to do it right. You know, I think about this man, this potter, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him because there's not that much written about him, but I just thought God here used this man, and, and there's a possibility, and I would say probably a probability, that this man never even knew that God used him for this. He probably never even knew that Jeremiah came to watch him do that for that specific reason. He never knew that this was an appointment that God had for him that would be recorded in history for us to read several thousand years later. Here's this potter. We don't know his name. We don't know really anything about him. But here he is. He's recorded in the Bible for, for this reason. He just did what he was supposed to do. He just made pottery. You know, sometimes we think about doing the work of the Lord as this great thing. You know, as a, a missionary, we're doing something different than most people would probably do. As a pastor, your pastor does probably a lot more around the church and stuff than most people do. Um, and we think that's such a great work of the Lord. But sometimes the work of the Lord is simply just doing what it is you're supposed to do. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, and I don't know uh, what your jobs are. There's all kinds of jobs. Back then, most jobs were working with your hands, crafting something. Um, before I went to Bible college, I went to art school. I went to the Art Academy of Cincinnati, and I studied illustration. And so I learned how to work with my hands, how to draw. Um, I studied printmaking, how to make prints and work different machines. And I got to do this uh, thing called lithography. I don't even know what lithography is. You take a big stone, and so really it's one of the coolest processes I've ever done. It has to do with chemicals and etching and all this stuff. But I learned how to do all that stuff with my hands, and there's appreciation you have for working with your hands. And you find out that doing that stuff takes a lot of time. It's not something that you do overnight, all of a sudden you're just good at it. You have to practice and work hard. And here was this potter who, who you know, he put a lot of time and he put a lot of effort into what he was doing. And I just, uh, I say all that to say this, that I think that we ought to think about this, that there could be times God, is, God wants to use us just in the little things. And we've got to be faithful in those little things because we don't know when it is that God's going to use us. We don't know when it is somebody's going to be looking at us and going to be watching us. And God's going to be trying to tell something to somebody else through us. And if we're not doing what we're supposed to do, you know what, that message is going to be lost. Um, you know, if, if in heaven we find out these things, and I don't know that we will, but if we did, we'd probably find out there were many, many times that God used us. Somebody whistling? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just caught me off guard. Uh, there, there, we would find out probably there's many times uh, that something, uh, God used us in ways that we never even would have imagined. And you know what would be bad? Uh, here, this guy was a good example, right? Uh, he was used for good. Imagine if uh, there, there's a, I won't have you turn there, but there's a, a short little story in the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, and I'll read it for you. In Proverbs 24, 30, it says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that, travail, uh, that traveleth, and I want as an armed man. He said, I looked and I saw this guy who, <clears throat> who was uh, slothful, he was void of understanding, and he's supposed to have a vineyard, and yet it's all, it's, it's all fallen apart, it's all taken over by weeds and thorns, and it's all bad. You know, we could be used as a good example, but also we could be used as a bad example. I'd hate to look back at my life one day and think, man, I was used as the what not to do over and over and over again. Don't be like this guy. And I'm sure there are times in my life where I would tell people, hey, don't be like me at that time. Don't do that thing that I did. And we all do that probably. If you have kids, you probably tell them, hey, I did this. I made a mistake. Don't do that. But I don't want my whole life to be. I'd like for sometimes my kids to look up and say, I want to do what my dad did. I want to be like my dad. I want other people to say, hey, you ought to be like David. He's a good guy. Um, that's not why I'm doing all this. Uh, but I'd like that. I think we all probably desire a little bit of that, that we would want people 
uh, because we want to do what's right, and we want to be what's right. And so, um, <clears throat> so that's the potter. I think that we can learn this thing. You know what? God wants to use us, and, uh, and sometimes it's not in the ways that we think it is. We just got to be prepared to always do what it is that God wants us to do and what we're supposed to do. Oftentimes, we know what we're supposed to do. Um, we're just simply doing it and doing it well the best we can. Now let's look at Jeremiah a little bit. Jeremiah, I think, had some characteristics that I want to point out and I want to talk about that if we would try to seek these and put these into our own lives, um, I believe God would, would do a few things with us. He'd speak to us. He would use us. Um, the first thing is that Jeremiah was open. When I say open, I mean he, was a, he, he had opened himself to God, you know, like a door. It says in Revelation chapter 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know, when someone knocks on your door, you got a choice. Either you're going to open the door and let them in, or at least talk to them, or you're going to keep the door shut. You know, God at, at times, I think, is, is knocking at our door. Um, and we either open it and listen to what he has to say, or we just keep it closed. Jeremiah, I think, just had his door open. You know, when God began to talk, he was just already waiting to listen. Uh, Jeremiah was listening when God, it says there, uh, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down. You know, Jeremiah was just waiting. He wasn't open in that he was just listening. He was waiting, I think. He was expecting. I think Jeremiah and a lot of these prophets that wrote, they were expecting God to talk to them. And we would expect that of a prophet, right? You would expect that to your pastor, to, for God to speak to him give him a message to share. You might expect that from a missionary or a preacher or, or even a Sunday school teacher to say, hey, this is what God's given me. But you know what? As Christians, just as a, a lay person in church, we ought to expect God to speak to us. We ought to be open in a way that we're saying, God, I'm, I'm ready for you to speak to me today. Uh, at any time, through any circumstance, uh, God speaks to us through his word. That's apparent, but God speaks to us through other ways. You know, he spoke to Jeremiah through a potter. He spoke to uh, Solomon there in, in the book of Proverbs through a guy that plants a vineyard. You know, I've, I've noticed in my life that God speaks to me a lot through my kids. <laughs> if you have kids, you probably would say the same thing. Uh, raising kids, I find out that they're very stubborn about things, and, and they're very, uh, sometimes it takes them a long time to learn things, and you can't understand why. And then I think about myself, I'm thinking, how long did it take me to learn to live by faith the way God wants me to? Uh, I think about telling my, my daughter to go put a, on a pair of shoes, right? We're getting ready to go, hey, go put on your shoes. And then she goes and does something else. Hey, go put on your shoes. You have to tell them how many times before they finally go put on their shoes. And then I think about how often has God told me to do something over and over and over again. You know, God speaks to us in these ways, but we only hear it if we're open and if we're listening, if we're expecting it. You know, we could see those things and, and not get any message from it, not get anything from it. And so here, uh, Jeremiah, I believe he was an open door. He was waiting for God to speak to him. But God didn't want him, uh, or God, God, when he spoke to him, he told him he wanted to go somewhere. He wanted him to go do something, go down to the potter's house. So God wanted him to go so that he could observe something. Uh, and think about this, the potter's house. Jeremiah here probably knew uh, about pottery, right? He was familiar with vessels because that's what they used back then, right? That's what we use today. If you drank out of a coffee cup uh, this morning, it was probably made very similar to the way they were making it back then. It's made out of clay. They shape it, they bake it, and then they, or they glaze it and they bake it and all that stuff. And so Jeremiah probably could have said, Lord, I know how pottery's made, okay? I've seen it done before. I know. I'm familiar with it. Why do I need to go down there? Um, now, I don't know if Jeremiah knew that. Maybe he knew nothing about pottery, but uh, chances are there's places God wants us to go that we would say, God, I've been there before. I've done that before. I know that. Uh, I don't need to go back. And God's saying, I want you to go again. There's something I want to show you. Uh, he wants it to be fresh in his mind because he's got something, even though he's seen it before, he wants to show him something new through the same thing. You know, I go back to my kids over and over again. They're constantly teaching me things. I feel like I'm trying to teach them things, uh, but they're teaching me things. Um, I feel like I'm trying to teach my wife stuff too, but she's always teaching me stuff. And it turns out she is the smarter of the two of us, you know. Um, she thinks that I'm smarter, uh, which gives me the edge, but she was really the smarter one. So, so the next thing, Jeremiah was open he was available, he was waiting for God to speak to him, but also he was obedient. When God told him to go, you know what, he just went. Jeremiah went where God sent him, but he also went when God sent him. You know, the when is sometimes just as important as the where, uh, and it's just as important as the what. You know, God, God called us to be missionaries. I could have waited, you know, and probably I did wait a little longer than I should have. 
You know, but if I waited until I was 60 years old, it would be a different story than it is right now. Circumstances would be different. It would be harder. Um, things would be different. God wanted me to go now. You know, and there's things that God wants us to do that I believe he wants us to go do now. You think about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the angel told him, go. You know, if he'd waited, the chariot could have been out of town. Philip went down to the chariot to, to, to tell him about the gospel, and the guy got saved, and he got baptized. What if he'd waited? You know, who knows what would have happened. God wants us to go and to do when and where uh, thing uh, he asked us to go. And, you know, he didn't argue. He didn't ask. At least it's not recorded. Um, Jeremiah wrote this book, so maybe he did, and he just left that part out. But we'll say he didn't, right, for the sake of argument. He didn't argue. He didn't say, God, I don't want to go there. You know, I've been down there uh, every day this week just watching him make pottery. I don't want to go again. Uh, God, I don't want to go. I, I know how it's done. Or, God, why? Why do you want me to go there? Right? That's what kids do. They ask you why over and over again. Just do it, you know. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I asked why a lot. And uh, I learned a lot that way. So, uh, But Jeremiah didn't ask why. He didn't ask questions. He just went. He was just obedient. Um, you know, delayed obedience is disobedience. It's one thing uh, to be open and to listen to God speak, you know, to say, okay, God, I hear you. But if we don't do what he's asked us to do, then we've missed the whole point of it. What's the point of being open and hearing God's word if you're going to miss what he's told us to do? If you're going to hear, he says, hey, I want you to go, and we stay. We don't go. Um, uh, in the book of um, 1 Samuel chapter 15, you know, Saul was supposed to go, and he was supposed to kill all of the Amalekites and Agag and everybody and all the sheep, just everything. He was supposed to destroy it all, and he didn't, Right? He saved the best of the things. He saved Agag alive. He did all these things. And he thought, oh, we'll just sacrifice these things to God. You know, he knew uh, that sacrifice was good, right? And so he thought, hey, I'll just do it this way. And Samuel said in, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. You know, sometimes we get the idea that we know better than God. You know, God, you want me to go to the potter's house, but you know what? I'll go somewhere else today that's better. Um, God, you want me to go somewhere that's simple, somewhere that's uh, not that important, but I know somewhere better I'll go. Um, and God says, no, to obey is better than any of those other things. He always knows better than what we know. Um, Jeremiah could have said, Lord, uh, I don't need to go down there, but he went and he was obedient. And, you know, it was in this that God showed him something that he, he wasn't going to see any other way. The only way he was going to see this message was if he'd gone to the potter's house. Um, and you think about it in our lives, there are times God, I think, wants us to go somewhere that's just simple, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, doesn't seem uh, that important. But we just go, and God will show us something that really is bigger than, than what we thought it was. It really could be more important than what we thought. Um, and so he was, he was open and obedient. And then the last thing uh, that I want to point out is that he was observant. God went for a specific reason. He wanted him to hear his words. He wanted him to see something. He says in verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again, another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. You know, he went and he just watched. And he began to look and to see, hey, uh, what is going on here? And he paid attention. And, uh, you know, probably the easiest place we could say, I know where God wants me to be is in church, right? You're all here this morning, and you hear the word of God preach. And sometimes we go, we go to church because we know we're supposed to go, and we go because we know that's where we're supposed to be, but we don't pay attention. We're not observant to the things that God wants us to hear and do. Um, and I've done that before, you know, many times. I've sat through a church service. Um, I was there where I was supposed to be, but I wasn't really paying attention and listening to what it was I was supposed to hear. You know, sometimes there might be something that God has for me, and I miss it. I wonder how many things I've missed because I just wasn't observant. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't looking. Matthew Henry said this, Those that would know God's mind must observe his appointments and attend where they may hear his words. You know, if we have a desire to know what it is God wants for us, then we've got to pay attention to what God says. Uh, interesting thing, Jeremiah was a preacher. You know, as a prophet, his job was to go and tell messages. God told him, I want you to go to the potter's house, not to tell him something, but I want you to listen. And sometimes we, we like to do a lot of talking. Um, I enjoy preaching. I enjoy presenting the ministry. But sometimes it's good for me just to go and to listen and to hear the preaching of God's word and to hear what God has for me. And sometimes that's, that's the way it is for us. It's, we, we don't always need to be talking, uh, but sometimes we just need to listen. If we want to speak on behalf of God, then we need to first get what God has for us to say. 
you know, it's, it's hard as a preacher, uh, if you've not studied your Bible to get up and preach a message, at least it's hard to preach one that's, that has any substance to it. If I'm going to preach or teach, you know, I could tell this morning that the Sunday school teacher had spent a lot of time reading and studying to present his message. Um, and he did that because he wanted to give us what came from God's word. And if it was going to come from God's word, he had to spend some time with God. You know, you didn't get that message from just sitting and talking to somebody else or from sitting uh, by yourself. You got that message because you sat and spent time with God. If we want that, if, and, you know, part of our job is to preach the gospel, we've got to get the gospel first for ourselves before we can give it to somebody else. Um, we've got to get the message first. And so uh, God brought a message to him. While he was there, God wanted him uh, to see something. He was looking for God to speak to him. He was looking for God to teach him. And God used uh, something called a similitude. In Hosea 12, 10, uh, God said this, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. And that word means comparisons or analogies, right? And that's what he's doing here in this story. He's using this, this potter as a similitude. Um, I'm going to use that word a lot because it's, it's a big word, and I'm going to try to get as much out of it as I can. So <laughs> uh, Jesus also used these in parables. You know, you read through the, the Gospels, there's tons and tons of parables. Um, you know, I was reading this week about uh, the great, uh, that great supper that I mentioned earlier in the parable. Uh, when God gave this parable, he said there was a, great, a man that had a great supper and he invited all these people. You know where he was? He was at a feast. He was saying, here we are, we're at a feast. Uh, he was at a Pharisee's house eating, and he said, I'm going to use this as an example to tell you a greater truth, somewhere where we are. Jesus, um, in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, uh, in just this chapter alone, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus compares it to a man which sowed a seed, a grain of mustard seed, leaven, a treasure hid in a field, a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, a net cast into the sea, a man that is an householder. And so he used all those things really to talk about this one thing, the kingdom of heaven. You know, God, and it's full, the Bible's full of these stories, but I think even today God uses some of that stuff to try to teach us things. If we just look and pay attention, I think uh, Jesus used those things because that's what was relevant at the time. Uh, during that time, these things, you know, people knew about uh, treasures. Uh, they knew about merchant men seeking goodly pearls. They knew about fishing, casting a net into the sea, uh, all these things. If Jesus were around today, he may use uh, things like sports that we know of or driving on the interstate, you know, or shopping, all the things that we do and we're familiar with. The, he might use those things, and that's what, you know, we do. I don't know if you use illustrations, Brother Brown, probably they, they are things that we're familiar with because that's the whole point is we're trying to take something that is unfamiliar and use something familiar to explain it, uh, compare it to something. You know, that's what we try to do with our kids when we explain something. Um, sometimes that's very difficult. So God used earthly things to describe heavenly things. God can do these things for us. Um, uh, God can show us truths from his word, and he can show us truths really from life in general. And so this similitude, this is the whole center of this story. This is the whole purpose of Jeremiah going, so he could see this one thing, and if he could grasp this one thing, this potter, how the clay was marred in the hand of the potter and how he made it again, then he got the message and he could share it. And Jesus explains to him what the message is. He explains that the Israelites are like the clay and that God wants to be like uh, the potter. Um, and he wants to mold and to make Israel into what he wants. The difference here is that the clay did not mar itself, right? The clay just became marred. And so the potter shifted it again. And so the difference is that Israel had to decide, hey, we want to be like the clay. God is not saying, I want to be like a potter. God is the potter. He's saying, you need to be like the clay. You know, the clay, it doesn't decide what it wants to do. The clay doesn't decide, hey, you know what? I don't think I want to be a bowl today. I think I want to be a plate, you know? Uh, it's not thinking about that. When I was in high school, I took some pottery. And uh, there's a type of pot called a coil pot where you, you take the clay and you make all these strips that you roll up like a snake that you would have made out of Play-Doh when you were a kid. You make all those, and they're supposed to be all even, the same size, and then you coil it around in the shape of a cup or a bowl or whatever, and, and, and so when you look at it, it's ribbed, you know? And so we had to make those, and uh, as I'm making my coils, they don't, they're not all the same, you know? They're all wonky and different shape. And so when I stacked mine all up, it did not look like a nice, it looked like a stack of pancakes. And so that's what I did. I made a pancake for the top as a lid, and I put it on a plate. And at the end, it was like, man, this is a great work of art that I created. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, it was, 
uh, it was, the clay was marred in my hand, um, but I just made it into something else. You know, God has an intention for us that he wants us to do something. He wants to make us, but we've got to be willing to submit and just lay down and say, God, I want you to, I want to be the clay and let you be the potter. Here as the children of Israel, he's saying, um, for you, he said, I'm going to have to start over again. And we saw that happen in the book of, uh, uh, or in the, the Old Testament when the children of Israel got to Kadesh Barnea and they set those uh, spies into the land and they came back and they came back with a bad report. And so what did God do? He said, all right, all of you that are 20 and older, you're not going to go into the land because you've rejected me. You're not want, you know, when they, if they would have just went into the land, God could have made them into what he wanted them to be, but they rejected him. And so God had to start over and that meant they were all gone. He was going to start with the younger generation when they come up. You know, for us today, it doesn't mean God's going to cut us down and start over. Uh, God just wants to make us new. That's the whole purpose. He's saying, I want to make you new. Uh, You know, we talked about the potter, and we talked about Jeremiah, and this is really about the children of Israel. This is who the message is for. He's saying, I want to make you new because you've been marred. You know, today, as uh, if you're in here this morning and you're a sinner and you've not been saved, you know what? Uh, You've been marred. Uh, There's something wrong in our life. We are not perfect the way that we ought to be. You know, what we need is somebody to make us new, to make us right. The Bible says that uh, when we get saved, we become justified. The word justified means to be made right. We cannot make ourselves right. That clay has no power to make itself into a bowl. It needs a maker, a potter, to form it. Uh, if, if, if you're a sinner in here this morning, you cannot make yourself right. You cannot save yourself. You cannot fix the mar, the problem that's in your life. You need Jesus Christ, you need God to fix that in you. You know, as, as missionaries, we are going to Romania to reach the gypsies. You know what those people are? They're a bunch of marred clay, and they need to be fixed. They need to be remade and made new. And it's as simple as this, preaching to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came. He was the one who laid his life down. He was the one that was cut down and made into nothing so that we can be made new. And so telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and he died on the cross, he gave his life so that we could have a new life and hoping that they trust in him. And that's all it is, is just believing in what God did. And so uh, this is the message. You know, we see the potter, we see Jeremiah, we see the children of Israel. Um, All of these things can be applied to us. But all of it, uh, the message is simply this, we need to be made new. Even as a Christian, you know, there are times that we become stale, we become stagnant in our faith, we're not walking like we ought to. You know what we can do? Uh, We don't have to continue like that. We don't have to continue being like that. God can turn us around, but we got to be like the clay. we got to be able to be molded and to be made into what God wants us to do. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for this opportunity again to open your word. Lord, I'd ask that you just be with us, Lord. Be with those here. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you as Savior, to recognize, hey, all they need to do is put their faith and trust in you and what Christ did on the cross. Lord, if there's Christians here today that would say, hey, I'm not living maybe like I ought to. I'm not trusting you or walking by faith. You know, what all it takes is, is, is for us to just submit, just to turn around, and Lord, to take it one day at a time and just to trust you. And Lord, I just thank you, and I ask that uh, you just bless this church, bless this pastor. Thank you for them for having us. And Lord, we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and have a time of invitation here, time of reflection. You're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure if I was to die today, I'd go to heaven. That message helped me to realize that I need, I need to trust in the potter. I need to be saved. And uh, Pastor, pray for me. Anyone like that this morning, I'm not going to come embarrass you. I just want you to uh, raise your hand so I can pray for you. Say, Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know for sure if I was to die today, I'd go to heaven. Anyone like that? Anyone? Maybe you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm saved, but... My life's been marred. There are some things that's not right. God knows it and I know it. I need, I need that new start. I'm thankful for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's me, Pastor. I, I, need, I need to get some things right with God. He knows it. I know it. Pastor, please pray for me. Anyone like that? Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else? He's the potter, yes, and we're the clay. And he wants, to, he wants to start afresh with you, and he can. And uh, I want you to just take this time. Miss Haley's going to begin to play.
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And as you're standing to your feet, God spoke to your heart this morning. Would you come? Come on. Miss Haley, go ahead and begin to play. God spoke to you. God spoke to your heart this morning. Tremendous message. God spoke to my heart. Thank you. You may be seated. do appreciate you again, once again, being here this morning. Thank you, Brother David, for the message. How it encouraged my heart. I hope that uh, you've been blessed as well this morning. do want to uh, just uh, remind you of a few things. Our missionary of the week is the uh, Parshell family. They're coming home on deputation. And so you remember uh, Brother Larry and Miss Betty Parshell. I don't believe they've been here since I've been here. So I, I uh, emailed them and asked them to come sometime this year um, whenever they're in the area to, I told them that we'd love to have them come and give an update uh, do you know brother Greg Miss, Miss Susan have they been here since I've been here I don't think so so I, I'd love to uh, to get to meet them and so you you pray for the partials this week pray for our deacon week brother Travis Ivers and our family week brother Roger Miss Tracy Amos and then our uh, trustee week brother Jimmy Clevenger remember these folks in your prayers if you would and then also uh, happy birthday to brother Tim Watson his birthday's today uh, so make sure you get by and uh, say happy birthday to him also Miss Faith's birthday's today and so make sure that you embarrass her she's not in here right now so uh, just say just go by her and laugh and say your dad said a funny story about you or something it, it just embarrass her she'll like it uh, actually she'll hate me for it but anyways I'll all right. Uh, so just remember these folks in your prayers. And then also this coming Saturday is our prayer breakfast. I want to invite everyone to come out this Saturday uh, and invite someone to come. It's always a good time of fellowship and food. And so uh, that's all the announcements I have. We'll go ahead and have the men come forward, pick up this morning's tithes and offerings. Always a blessing to give back a portion of what the Lord has entrusted to us. So I'm going to ask Brother Peyton, sir, would you please ask the blessings? stand and close in word of prayer again if you're able to stick around what i'm going to do since uh, his wife and his uh, girls are back in here uh, we're going to have them sing a song 
uh, and then we'll have, uh, you can ask any question that you want to, and uh, for that second service, it won't be long, I promise you, uh, so if you're able to stick around, uh, we'd love to have you. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Brother Travis, sir, would you close us in a word of prayer, sir? Father, it's good to be in your house today, and Lord, we thank you so much for the grace that you've given to us.